This is episode number 206. Your comfort zone actually isn't that comfortable with mindset coach Rob Scott. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The second function of a lens is that it's built to be invisible, meaning that it's built literally to be looked right through and not considered at all. Once you're looking through it, you don't tend to consider the lens anymore. Our beliefs, and I don't just mean religious beliefs, but our limiting beliefs about ourselves, our limiting beliefs about the world, our limiting beliefs about other races and other people and all these different things, we end up taking them on, often for very good reason when we take them on, but later in life, they end up deeply holding us back because they're altering what we see in some way and they're built to be invisible. We can't see them as the lens that they are. We're actually looking through something and it's really altering how we're seeing. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And I am so thankful that you are a part of this community. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. I absolutely cannot believe how fast the summer is going by. And normally travel speeds things up and makes time pass faster. And I haven't really been traveling very much, but somehow the summer is still flying by, but I've been enjoying it. It's been actually really nice to be home. I know one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have been facing is waiting for our events to come back, whether it be something that you're looking forward to, like a concert or things like bike races and bike events, maybe Grand Fondos or even charity rides. And some messages I've been getting from my community are that they are lacking motivation because they don't have a race to train for. And people have been asking me what to do. The first thing that I encourage you to do if you're struggling with this is to go back to your why. Go back to the reason that you like to race your bike. And chances are the reason that you like to ride your bike is because you like to improve and you just enjoy riding. And that's why you like racing and you like new adventures. So can you create new adventures for yourself where you scratch that itch? Can you go after maybe some personal bests on Strava on your home trails? That's something that I've been doing and finding a lot of fulfillment and satisfaction from. Can you set goals, maybe training goals that are specific? Maybe it's raising your FTP functional threshold power by a certain percentage. Maybe it's nailing a new technical section. That's also something I've been working on is picking specific and challenging technical skills that I can improve at and videoing myself. That way I can keep track of that. So by looking for things that are measurable and are things that I can do at home, that's been helping me stay motivated because I did go through about a month where I just didn't feel quite as motivated whenever it looked like there wasn't going to be any races this fall. And you know what? Another thing that you can do is maybe just take a break because we spend so much time. I don't want to call it a sacrifice because that implies that it's bad, but we spend a lot of time choosing to prioritize our training and even prioritize spending all of our money on travel and races and everything bike related. So maybe you can add a different dimension to your life and approach or pursue something that you've been wanting to do, but you always are chasing after cycling so you don't have time to do it and give yourself that little break. I also think that that's healthy because having multiple identities aside from cyclist is really healthy and it helps you have 
better confidence whenever something happens, like if you can't race or if you get injured and having lots of different hobbies and lots of different ways to define yourself really increases self-worth. Oftentimes thinking big picture is a good solution for getting through difficult times. But in this case, I don't necessarily think that thinking big picture is a good thing because we don't know how long the COVID pandemic is going to last. And I think a lot of people were hoping that it would be over by the end of the summer. And it's obvious that that's not going to happen. So plan more short term because the the long term makes you feel uncertain and the long term makes you feel anxious. So plan for short term goals that help you feel grounded. Set goals where you can actually control your actions every single day so that you can be better. And whenever you're anxious, I've said this before, focusing on the things that you can control, not the things that you can't control are really, really important. So let's talk about today's guest. And one of my favorite sayings is limits live in our minds. And I actually have a limits live in our minds stem cap. That's like the thing that goes on top of your headset where your handlebar and your stem are. And so I actually have those on moxieandgrit.com because I like that saying so, so much. And I've used it in races whenever I'm doubting myself. So limits live in our minds. Today's guest is all about helping people confront and overcome their own self-limiting beliefs by helping them understand what lens they are choosing to see the world. Rob Scott is our guest, and he has had a very interesting life from being homeless with some substance abuse problems, he started doing drugs at the young age of seven, to getting back on track in his life and having a great career, to riding the roller coaster of a cancer diagnosis. So what's Rob up to now? He is a personal development and mindset coach. He hosts his own mastermind and fundamental shift coaching community. He is very passionate about helping people shift their identity to achieve big goals and personal fulfillment. And there is a lot of really great things that we talked about in this podcast, thought-provoking things. You might even want to take some notes and listen to it twice. Six main things we covered in today's episode is why your comfort zone isn't actually that comfortable the lenses to overcome our self-limited beliefs, how to challenge your bias, questions to ask yourself about your identity, why affirmations don't work, and the cause and effect of self-fulfilling prophecies. Now, if you want to get all of my best tips and information, make sure that you sign up for my free weekly newsletter. That's at sonyalooney.com newsletter. And I've been changing the format where every week I let you know something that I came across that was really interesting, usually on the topic of mindset. I have a journal stem that you can use to use if you want to journal once during the week. And I share the weekly podcast. So check it out, sonyalooney.com newsletter. I think you'll really like it. And last, many of you guys have been ordering the taco socks on Moxie and Grit. That's M-O-X-Y and Grit.com. That is my lifestyle apparel brand. And the taco socks powered by tacos and effing tasty are the newest additions to our collection. We also have some Quadzilla t-shirts and even some baby onesies that I made out of inspiration for my own little boy. You can check that out at moxieandgrit.com. And the whole point of that brand is so whenever you reach for that t-shirt or that pair of socks or that stem cap, that's going to be a great day. You pick those specifically for days where you're going to take on a challenge or you need some extra motivation to help you get out the door. All right. So let's get into this week's guest, Rob Scott. Welcome to the show, Rob. 
Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. It's funny. I just had a crazy morning. I was about to hit call and my coffee spilled everywhere, all down my desk, in my drawers, on my dog. And I was one of those moments where it was like, this is a mindset moment where I can just take a breath yeah. and I can say, well, at least the coffee wasn't hot and it didn't burn my dog. And at least my office is now going to smell like coffee, which is awesome. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It's a good shift. Yeah. I want to start with something that I heard you say that I actually haven't heard said this way before. And I've talked about comfort zones a lot. Everybody's heard like life begins at the end of your comfort zone. But you said on another podcast I listened to that our comfort zone is actually not that comfortable. Yeah. And I thought that that's a hard thing to tease out to say that. And I'd love for you to just start with that. Talk about sure. why the comfort zone yeah. is. And then in your life, like you've had all these crazy things happen and you've evolved out of for most people, it would be a really uncomfortable comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. I try to avoid absolute language as often as I can. So I, I'm sure it's not always that comfort zones are uncomfortable. But I think that we don't really notice how often our comfort zone has become uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is it's more like it's a familiar zone than it is a comfort zone. And we end up thinking about it like, you know, well, this is my life. I like it like this. And we're not often really honest about how bad things are, right? We can self-delude ourselves to thinking it's okay. And so what our subconscious mind is doing most of the time is it's trying to keep us safe. And in that exercise of trying to keep us safe, it gets much more comfortable, we'll say, with what's been familiar, what we've been through before, what's been done before. And what's unknown or new is often scary, which can be a great protection mechanism, but it often keeps us stuck in what we end up coding as just a comfort zone or what is normal for us. And a lot of times we don't look at how actually uncomfortable that is. And we sort of put down the real possibility of how much we could change or how good things could be if we made some shifts. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the frog in the hot water where you put the frog yeah. in the hot water and then you turn up the water and they don't realize that it's uncomfortable. But if you throw them straight in the hot water, they're like, ah, this is really uncomfortable. Yeah, it depends on how great that change comes on and, and how much we can take. But yeah, I think a lot of people's lives get deeply uncomfortable, yet they stay in it because it's familiar. And so it gets really ground into who they think they are, what they think is possible, and they just take it on. And we become very good at staying in the familiar and change becomes more and more difficult for us. And so what I think most of us are interested in is we want to grow, is we really want to change, but our unconscious is almost set to resist that quite often. Yeah. And for lots of people, the fear of the unknown and the fear of change is more uncomfortable than their current situation, even if they don't like their current situation. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that just have this general sense of unfulfillment. And fulfillment isn't really an endpoint. Like you're not going to all of a sudden be happy and, and be fulfilled. It's a moving target. It's kind of like putting your happiness into the future. But the power to to make change and feeling confident enough. Confidence comes from taking one step after another, making those changes in the direction of the life you wanted to live. So what advice do you give people that are in their comfort zone, so to speak, but they're not really, they're in their familiar zone, but they're not super happy in their familiar zone, but they're afraid to make a change. How can you help people make a change out of there? So I think the first step of that might be getting more honest about what's really happening for you. A lot of times, I think there's a lot of challenges to this. I think a lot of us end up getting very focused on whatever's most annoying in this moment. So we end up with this quality of, 
oh, I just don't have the job I really need. If I only had this job, then everything would be okay. Or I don't have the relationship that I really need. You know, I'm in this difficult relationship. And if I just could get this relationship to work, then everything would be okay. But if we're really honest, we actually want way more than that. We actually, we want the great job. We want the great money. We want the great relationship. We want the health. We want the whole thing. And so we end up with a lot of desires in all these different directions. Usually one is a little louder than the other ones in any given moment. But if we're honest, we have lots of them and we end up with lots of problems in lots of directions as well. And quite often the common denominator is us at the center of that. Like what's going on in our way of being and our sense of self-mastery and our ability to adapt to challenges in lots of directions in doing all these things. And so I think a lot of coaching misses the mark in that it's often very skill-based. It's often very like, well, here's your diet plan or here's your how to sell for your business or here's whatever. And while those do solve certain problems, it may not be the core problem, right? It may not be the central problem. And a core problem is the idea that not all problems are the same, right? So a really silly example that I often use is if you're at a house in the dead of winter and you've got one of the windows is completely blown out and it's freezing cold outside, right? The right, it, it may be a problem that your thermostat isn't exactly right, but that's not going to solve the core problem of the window, right? It may be a problem that you don't have a fire in the fireplace. And even if you were to fix that and put a fire in the fireplace, it might get warmer right by that, but you haven't addressed the core problem, which is this gaping hole of a window, right? So not all problems are the same. Another example of that is in somebody's life who's dealing with like addiction, it's an obvious one to do this because they end up with problems in all these different directions, right? They just lost their job. They're losing their relationship. Maybe they lost their kids. There's problems in every direction. And for an addict or an alcoholic, often what they think the solution is in the moment is to go feel better at the bar, right? But what is actually the solution or what is the core problem, which could lead to a core solution, is addressing addiction. And if you actually do that at the center of self, you end up having all these other problems kind of magically solve themselves, right? Like your relationships aren't as difficult. You can keep a job. You don't get DUIs anymore, you know, all this stuff. So I think whether you're dealing with addiction of any kind or not, quite often the problem is something much more internal. It's in a sense of self with like how we follow through. Can we do the uncomfortable thing in the moment? Can we shift ourselves in a way that's meaningful across all these domains? And so what I want to do with people is help them get honest about that comfort zone to kind of loop back to where your question was sourced and show them like really what the cost is and what they're doing because we're, we'll stay very self-delusional and stay quote unquote comfortable in a situation that's really less than what we really want. And if we're not making that mistake, we might be working like all I need is the diet plan or all I need is this one specific thing. But if they get honest about, you know what, I actually want more. There's some qualities in me that need to shift. I need some sense of self-mastery that's really different. And when you do that, you find that you can do some really deep psychological work that can get you past things like trauma and dysfunction, and you end up on the other side of it, really a different, uh, more evolved human being and deeply changed. Yeah, being honest with yourself or even listening to a coach whenever they're helping you mm. be honest with yourself and find that core problem is really hard because... You have to be humble and you have to be willing to hear things that you don't want to hear, but you also have to be wanting to change bad enough where you're open enough to be able to make those changes. Yeah. And you've talked about breaking through limiting beliefs, which all of us have, and also taking on different lenses. Can you talk about how people can do that? 
Yeah, for sure. So I think lenses is, a, is an interesting concept, right? If you think of a lens, there's a couple of really important qualities of a lens, but most people don't know about the second one. So when I talk about a lens, I'm literally talking about a lens that's in an eyeglass or contact lens, or if you don't wear those, maybe you've looked through a microscope or a telescope, right? The function of a lens is that it alters what we see, right? It's built to change what we see. And that's the quality that we all know. And if you put on a good prescription or the right glasses, they can be really helpful. But if you put on the wrong ones, like if you just randomly picked up any set of glasses out there, chances are it's going to actually hurt your vision in some way. So we got to understand that lenses are changing what we're looking at. The second function of a lens is that it's built to be invisible, meaning that it's built literally to be looked right through and actually not considered at all. Once you're looking through it, you don't tend to consider the lens anymore. So these, I wear glasses and once, once they're on, I'm not thinking about them at all. They're just altering what I see and they're actually really invisible. So our beliefs, and I don't just mean religious beliefs, beliefs is kind of a hot button word sometimes for some people, but our limiting beliefs about ourselves, our limiting beliefs about the world, our limiting beliefs about other races and other people and all these different things, we end up taking them on often for very good reason when we take them on. But later in life, they end up deeply holding us back because they're altering what we see in some way and they're built to be invisible. We can't see them as the lens that they are. We're actually looking through something and it's really altering how we're seeing. So you could think of it like a political spectrum of somebody who's very, very diehard progressive versus somebody who's very, very diehard conservative in their own experience of being what they are. They're sure they're right. Right. And this this actually goes into what feels like truth for us personally. So once you've taken on a lens, if you can't challenge the lens or you can't see that it's a lens, it feels like truth. You've forgotten that something's been altered in what you're seeing and it just feels like truth. And so this gets weird. But in what I think is some of the most advanced kind of coaching is actually getting people to challenge what they're taking on as truth about themselves or about the world or about what's possible in the moment. And Sometimes the military can do that in pushing you so hard in such a way that you have to break what you thought was true about your edge, right? So that's one way that you could do it with like a physical challenge. You can also do it mentally by helping people do these things. My company's called Fundamental Shift. And what I mean by that mostly is that if you actually decide to, like, let's say your eyeglasses had raindrops on them, all of a sudden you take them off, you, you realize, oh, like now you're considering the lens, right? Now I can see the lens that I'm looking through, maybe to clean them or whatever. But when you're doing that with beliefs about yourself and you actually consider the lens, just that shift, just awareness that you're looking through a lens is very, very helpful. It doesn't mean you have to put the lens down necessarily, but it gives you some space so that you can reconsider it and maybe change it if it's not accurate, if it's not helping you, if it's whatever. Um, and then if we think about the we space of dealing with other people, like across political lines or in relationships or building teams or anything like that, being able to try to see what are all the lenses here? What's everybody seeing through? Like, how can I hold everybody's perspective and see how they're seeing uh, becomes very valuable. Some of the, our biggest problems are because we get really slammed down. We're not aware of our own lenses. We think that that's truth and we're actually in error. And now we're either fighting or going to war or, you know, dysfunctional in some way. So really useful uh, coaching or even therapy or whatever is helping people see how they're seeing, getting meta on the lenses that you're carrying and being able to rewrite them and ultimately put on a, a better prescription if that's, you know, just to take that metaphor all the way through, you know, um, really optimize how you're seeing. Uh, and that can be very, very helpful, uh, you know, in a coaching context. 
Yeah, that's such a great example and a really easy way for people to understand that explanation. It is super hard to be able to not take your lens as truth. And Mm -hmm. there's the confirmation bias where everybody looks around for the thing that confirms the thing that they believe is truth. And especially yeah. in our in our times right now, there's a lot of, of uncertainty and difficulty and also uh, great change in, in the year of 2020. And yeah. I think that this conversation about lens and bias and, and what we have perceived to be truth, maybe because we don't know that our prescription is wrong. And, yeah. and maybe we haven't been to the eye doctor to get a new prescription and update yeah. our prescription and to be able to see better. So, yeah. It is this access to truth, right, in a sense where we want to make the best sense making that we can. And if we're looking through glasses, but we don't know that we're looking through glasses, right? Like that's the part where it's like they're built to be invisible. Sometimes the alteration is okay and helpful. But if you don't know that you're doing that, you're now in a sense of a a little bit of a deluded state, right? It's delusional at that point, right, In, in some way, or you're seeing something that's illusionary, right, outside yourself. And you brought up a cognitive bias, right? We have evolutionarily a set of cognitive biases that are built as like survival efficiencies. And so to survive in many contexts, they might be really helpful, but they end up being as the world gets more complex, as social media is changing, as we're now dealing with a global context that's newer than we've ever had to deal with before. That complexity says that some of these biases may not be as helpful as they used to be, right? And then individually, we take on like if you've been through abuse or something negative or somebody hurt your heart in middle school because they called you ugly or whatever it is, we take on different meanings about ourselves, And it becomes as a survival thing, the smartest thing to just maybe believe that and take that on. So we live our life much smaller maybe than we could or less confident or whatever. And these things have deep effects. And if we take them on as true, we now don't have the agency to be as big or change or do all the things that are maybe possible for us ultimately. So if someone isn't ready to hire a coach, but they want to start looking inward and saying, okay, well, what am I wearing a lens? What lenses am I wearing? What are some questions they can ask themselves and maybe spend time journaling or just thinking about to determine if they do have these biases? Yeah. So I talk about something called identity shifting. And and what we're really talking there is there's different parts of identity, right? There's like the unconscious part of your mind that's truly out of your view. And a lot of the deepest, best work is in that space. Like if you can get some of those patterns running differently, they really have this non-willpower kind of change up in the conscious level that's really, really helpful. Not to get too weird and confusing, but there is like a whole conscious set of tools too. What is your mind doing with your own conscious attention? Like, can you, you know, in today's world, we're getting very scattered, right? Do you have the ability to move your attention around? Do you know the difference between a thought and a sensation or an experience, right? Something that like a meditation practice could help with or whatever. Then there's the whole doing space. Like, do you know your purpose? Are you committed to some goal that's bigger than yourself, that matters, that can motivate you to take action towards something? And then there's like the relational space. How are you as an individual dealing with other people, right? So there's a whole suite of tools across all this that are really, really helpful to learn, right? So just a gratitude practice could be very, very helpful. But on the lens thing, we're really talking in that unconscious space. And so I want to talk about how can you see something that's outside your own conscious awareness? Well, you probably can't see the pattern very well. Like if we talk about Jungian shadow or something like, you know, true shadow is really in the dark. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. You can see the dysfunction that are happening in your life, right? So 
all of a sudden what you want to look for is what am I really bothered about? Like what is really going on here? And what do I maybe believe about that to be true? So we start to look for the kinds of thoughts that are, I'm lazy. I'm a loser. I'm not good enough. I'll never be whatever. I can never have that money, whatever those things are, right? So if you really want to do some self-coaching, sit down and see what you might say about yourself that are really almost maybe negative statements, right? About yourself, about the world, about what's possible. Circle the top three to five that are the biggest ones. And then Byron Katie's got great work on reversing those, right? Looking at doing what she calls the work, which is what would the reverse of that thing be? How could you play with that statement to find a more useful statement and take it on? Now, if that's difficult to do, that is when you need to go get help with it, right? If that's something that's impossible for you to do and you just can't see how it's not true, that's when you need to get outside yourself and maybe have somebody work with you. But for somebody just, again, starting to see the lens and going, oh, wow, that's just a lens I've taken on. And what if that weren't true? What if at my best, that really wasn't the case and I'm I'm not always a loser. Maybe I've lost a lot, but maybe sometimes I win, right? All of a sudden you have a little gap in that and it's less true. That lens isn't as powerful. And all of a sudden you might go do something that's more powerful for yourself. Yeah. And you've talked about how you consciously change your focus, but underneath everything, if you still aren't believing at the top level that that's true, your subconscious is still saying you're a loser, even though consciously you might be writing down or doing the work trying to say, I'm not a loser. And oh, right, right, eventually right, right. The, uh, the, the undercurrent will start to shift over time, but it takes time to get there. I don't know that I've said that exactly, but let's play with that because I'm not I'm not sure I know cool. exactly what you mean by that. But I, I know what you're pointing at there. So the problem with affirmations quite often is that your subconscious isn't going to believe them. And so just doing things like I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. If you're not a millionaire, it's actually deeply problematic to do that. That is not going to necessarily lead you to be a millionaire, right? Like that is actually going to potentially lead you to just not believe in yourself even more, which is a deeper sense of a broken self. Like if you're not trustworthy to yourself about what you'll do, that's going to lead to more psychological issues and depression and other things, right? So What's more helpful is that the choice, if you're going to do any kind of an affirmation or if you're going to play with a negative statement and move it, you want to do something that's useful and you can actually see some of the truth in. So instead of I'm a loser, it's way more useful to go, sometimes I don't lose, right, than it is to go, I'm a winner, right? Because if you can't believe I'm a winner and you're just saying I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, that's going to feel very disconnected, right? There's something, it's too far a gap, and it's really not true, because actually you're not a loser or a winner. You're probably both. We all win and lose all the time. So what's useful is in the choice of that new thing, you want to be artful. Like that's an important thing to do to what are you actually trying to pattern in as your new way of being. And what I talk about there is just useful thinking. And that's where we can break up with truth, which is a much deeper topic. I don't mean to just keep babbling so you can stop me at no, any time. No, this is awesome. Keep going. <laughs> we, we were talking about the importance of challenging truth, right? So I, I'm not saying truth that might be some external scientific fact, right? Because that's going to be true whether you want it to be or not. I'm talking about your own subjective experience, which is true to you, okay? So if it's true to me that I'm a loser... I'm going to go in with the context of a sales meeting feeling like a loser. I'm going to potentially uh, just the default to doing loser type things like, well, losers don't train. So I'm just going to sit down and watch TV and not train. That's going to be the easier option for the unconscious mind and my behavior to just habituate. Right. So 
in the challenging of truth, if we're saying, hey, I might be wearing a lens that's making my experience be not true and challenging your own truths is this deep, difficult thing that the human animal doesn't want to do. But if you can take that on, the scary part of that is like, well, are you asking me to be delusional? Like, I don't want to be a crazy person because I've got to have some sense of what's true. So what we're looking for really is what's useful. We want to gain like a useful thing, not just the opposite, not just, well, I'm not poor, I'm rich. That becomes delusional. That's not factual at all. But what's useful? If you have a limit about money, is it maybe like, you know, I really love when I honor my money and do my accounting. I just love when I'm organized like that. Well, that that can be true. That can both feel true subjectively and it's more useful. That's a really healthy next step to move your, let's say, affirmation or what you're trying to put into your subconscious and your change your way of being to be rather than something that's delusional and unhealthy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that I'll take this into another context, into bike racing, the world of bike racing. And there's a difference. There's a lot of people on a given day that can win. But if you don't believe that you can win, even if you can win, like I've actually been in this situation and there was a time where I remembered that I was trying to win and I knew I could or I I physically could, but I just didn't believe that I deserved to win. And so I wouldn't win. And then there came a time where I was able to mentally shift and say, no, like I can win this thing. And I, I deserve to win this thing because I've worked hard. And then I started believing that that was possible. And then I started winning more races. So that shift is, it's hard to get that shift to actually happen though. Yeah. Deep down in your subconscious to really believe in yourself, I guess. Well, let's, let's talk about useful delusion for a second, right? Like if I'm literally being attacked by five guys and there's no cops in sight and I, let's just say that it's, it's, they're either going to like maybe beat me to death or whatever, me being able to convince myself, which might be completely delusional that I could actually beat up five guys could be really helpful because it might just make me fight hard enough in the moment that gets me the time to where the police show up and save me or whatever might happen there. Right. So I don't know that that's a phenomenal example, but those ideas of, you know, there's some like if you're golfing, right, just on every shot, imagining like this could be the best shot I've ever hit. That's a way better mindset to take on as you're going into your backswing than, you know, what if I slice? What if I slice? What if I slice? Right. Which mathematically, if you slice all the time, could be much more probable and might be like scientifically more realistic if you're trying to stay in realism. So What's useful in the moment is a really interesting place to start playing and seeing what you can stretch into. And I would think like if I was in a bike race, I would always want to be like, even if I was around people who were so much better than I am, like, I don't know, they could all have bike breakdowns and the worst night of sleep before. And what like I'm if I just give my best, of course I could win. Right. Like there's some probability that I could win if all the things go in my favor. So I'm going to bike as hard as I can. That's an idealized, probably very useful mindset. Even if it's not, it doesn't bear out in factual truth in the moment. It still can be really helpful. And getting a little bit even more woo-woo, the law of attraction. And like, if you're always thinking of the bad thing happening to you, and then it kind of does happen to you. I think it might have been you that gave this example. It was something about like, you're worried about getting fired at work. And you think your boss, your boss gives you a look and you, you think that your boss doesn't like you because of that look. And then you start giving off this weird energy to your boss. And then that inevitably makes you get fired. So yeah, the magic of law of attraction, I want to sort of stay away from because that's just, you know, like, yeah, it, it, like woo, woo. woo is great. But yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's really think about it. Right. If I there is a cause and effect thing of like how I'm interpreting the world. Right. So if I do see my boss give me a bad look 
and I let it affect me so deeply. Like, let's say I'm so fragile, I'm so non-resilient that now that affects me and I can't perform well, right? That could become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, I, I misinterpreted the look, right? The boss didn't have any bad thought about me, but I misinterpreted it, right? And in my own belief system, that holds me back so much that now I don't treat the boss the same and exactly the story you told, right? I start performing badly. I get even more nervous around them. And before you know it, I actually get let go. Well, I think the error there is saying that that was some magical law of attraction thing, right? But what's really happening there is that my own focus on negative is making me, you know, more shut down, more worried, more whatever, and it leads to bad outcomes, right? And now by contrast, if I'm just delusional about I think my boss loves me and they don't, right? That's not it's not the mirror image, right? That's not the good way to be. So we want that's why I talk about useful thinking. It's really about developing, hey, I may not have all the facts. I may not know what's going on. I may not know the meaning of that. And so if I do see a bad look from my boss, it's it's important to consider, like, are they upset at me? Whatever. But it's not useful to then take it on so much that it's affecting my future performance, right? It's good information, but I might be like, let me check in. I need to actually talk to my boss and say, hey, did I interpret that right or whatever? And then if I don't have any facts, it's good to use my mind in a way that's going to optimize my own performance and my own relationships and my own, you know, coexisting in the world rather than something that's going to leave me less confident or smaller or less, right? So a way to manufacture the most useful self-reality in the face of not really knowing the truth oftentimes, right? That's what we, I think we all need to get better at. And when you do that, that's a, what I would call a meta skill of cognition to make the most useful thinking. Now, if somebody's truly delusional, that's difficult to do, right? That's why we need guidance. That's why we need help, obviously. But resilience is one thing, but being anti-fragile is actually a better thing, right? If you can have hard things happen to you, anti-fragile means that you actually get stronger because of that stress, right? Resilience means you can maybe take that stress and not change. But if you're anti-fragile, you're actually growing due to stress, right? So there's a way that we can take on that moves us not only more toward being resilient in the face of challenges, but actually anti-fragile, which can be, I'm going to actually get better under this stress, which is what with the right training muscles tend to do with the right, you know, sports stuff, you can get stronger and better at things because you're stressing things. They actually get stronger. We can do that psychologically as well. Yeah. I like how you said that if your boss gives you a look that makes you feel uncomfortable, you might be somebody that's scanning, you're wearing a negativity lens, you're scanning for the negative. So mm -hmm. whenever someone looks at you weird or you hear someone laughing, you might think they're laughing at you. And that's because of the lens that you have of the world is against me. Yes. And being able to tease that out to realize like, okay, and maybe, maybe your boss did give you a, a weird look and maybe it had nothing to do with you, but it's really hard to pause in that moment. Or maybe you got an email and the tone of the email just seemed like something that, I mean, I've, I've done this. I've gotten an email and been like, oh my gosh, I'm getting fired. Yes. And it's crazy. And it's, it's, you're not getting fired. It's just that you have underlying issues about whatever that thing is that is negative. So you're looking again, there's that, that confirmation bias looking for, okay, I am getting fired now. Or, oh, that person doesn't like me after all. Yeah. So what's the best way to overcome that? So it's really interesting. So I love that confirmation bias has come up a few times and it is really important because when these lenses are on and by lenses, I mean your beliefs about the world and yourself and all that stuff, you're taking them on to be true. And then the deeper thing is that you're actually looking to make them more true all the time, right? Because we don't want to feel crazy ever. So <laughs> whatever we think is real, 
we're looking for evidence that that is in fact real, right? So if we don't like that group, we're looking for evidence why that group is bad. Let's simplify this way down. Let's say that there's a party going on. And if you want to go into that party, but you took on the lens of nobody likes me at this party, right? Think about how you would feel going to a party where you really truly believed nobody there liked you, right? It would be really scary. I mean, it could, you know, it could be any degree of horrible. It might just be like, okay, I'll probably be safe, but it's whatever. But you would be noticing to your point when somebody's laughing, they're probably laughing about me. When people are talking over there, maybe they're talking about me. Maybe that sideways glance, right? The whole experience of the party would be horrible. But let's go into the exact same party. Let's just imagine that nobody changed at all. But you go in there going, I love connecting with people. Now, again, I'm not taking it to like some delusional place of everybody loves me, right? That might be, that doesn't sound true ever. Everybody doesn't love me and, you know, they don't even know me, half of them or whatever. But maybe <laughs> it's just, I love connecting with people or I love parties or I can't wait to have a good time tonight, right? What if that was my lens instead? Now I could go in and the exact same things could happen, but the laughing doesn't code the same way, right? The looks over there don't code the same way because the interaction of meaning making is yes, something's happening objectively out here, but my subjective reality has to interpret it, right? So to what degree are you optimizing how you're subjectively experiencing the world so that you're taking in information in a way that's not only true, but is highly useful to you, right? Is the best way to act on it. And so again, back to like, how can somebody coach themselves? Well, if you have these persistent issues in your life that are happening, I promise they're because of you and your meaning making, at least partially. doesn't mean you're not in some addictive situation or you've got somebody in, in the house that's abusive or whatever. Like You may really need to get away from somebody, but the fact that you're staying is says something about you, right? So there's some part of it that is, to whatever degree under your control, at least about changing your mind about it, if not changing your entire experience of it physically as well. So that thing of, of moving from the world's hard... There's some skill out there I don't have. There's some whatever to taking responsibility about it and saying, I may not control it all, but I control some part of it. Like, what are the parts of this that I could optimize? What are the things about myself that need to become stronger, more resilient, better, whatever? What are the lenses that I have that are really holding me back? And that would be maybe ground zero to beginning subjective sense of meaning making that can make you optimized and make you better in the moment. So I'm going to kind of shift this to the other side of the spectrum. What about imposter syndrome? Because I know a lot of people listening, including myself, tend to be achievers and then will deny our achievement. And we'll say like, for me, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, like I've been world champion. And just saying that, I feel like my insides start to crawl and I start denying that that actually happened and that and mm -hmm. I start making reasons why, oh, that's not good enough. And I've seen another really great female cyclist, she made the long Olympic team this year. And she said mm -hmm. that she's denying that achievement and denying that success is and, and, and belittling what that actually means. So like, how can people use their lens to accept their achievements and not feel like an imposter and not just always feel like they're not good enough? Yeah. So I think interesting thing here is if you think about self-worth, equaling accomplishment in some way, right? If you've tied that your self-worth is equal to your accomplishment, then your accomplishments become really important and like a big deal. If your self-worth is sort of intact all on its own and you're okay, whether you're a world champion or not, like that's just a thing, like it's either true objectively or it's not, but it has nothing to do with how you actually feel about yourself or how you think you're being judged, 
because you're deeply okay with yourself, that move in self-confidence and self-worth is deeply helpful and deeply important. What happens in the engine of procrastination, one of the reasons that we procrastinate is that our self-worth is tied to our ability to perform so deeply, like you know, maybe our parents were really critical of certain grades we got or whatever. And so this is subtle, but what we're doing oftentimes when we're procrastinating is we're giving ourselves an excuse so that psychologically there's a version of myself that could be better than what I actually am. So I didn't get a good grade on that test because I didn't study. I just procrastinated. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, if I didn't procrastinate, I could have. I'm actually intelligent. I could have gotten an A, but I only got a C because I didn't study. In fact, I, it's amazing I got a C without, without the studying I did. I get to have a story about a version of me that could have been amazing. Now, somebody that doesn't procrastinate is actually okay putting their own sense of self on the line against whatever that test is and getting a real grade because that grade doesn't define their worth, right? Their worth is not tied to the meaning of that grade. They're like, I don't know. What did I get? Did I get a B? Okay. I, maybe I study harder next time or that's how much I understood that subject or whatever. And in that, somebody whose sense of self is more whole, I'm going to argue that in most cases, they'll be more ready to go try things, more ready to go do things, not procrastinate and protect and worry about what other people think of them to whatever degree. So imposter syndrome, in my mind, seems tied to that in the fact that one sense of it is not people who do accomplish and then have a hard time kind of owning it. That's one version. But another version is people who are like kind of hiding in the corporate landscape and pretending to be bigger than they are and they really aren't that good. But both of those are what may be called off-scales from reality in your own kind of psychic understanding of yourself, right? Or, or what other people are thinking about you. Now, obviously, socially, if people are so mad at you, they're going to hurt you. That matters. But we get over-concerned with, if I say I'm a world champion, what are people going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm egoic? Are they going to think like I'm showing off? Or like, what? I'm not really that. Or I only won that because everybody else didn't show up that day. Or what, you know, there's some inner dialogue. And what I might invite you to do as far as the lens is just take on, it really doesn't matter whether it, like, I'm just, I love cycling and I'm going to focus on the process of this and the growth of this. And if I get accolades along the way, that's fine. And I could tell people because they're true, but it doesn't really matter in my sense of self. Does that? I think I, I'm actually asking the opposite of okay. people are saying, wow, like, look at all these achievements. And then you yourself are denying that as a big deal. You're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. And you actually, mm -hmm. I like, I actually truly feel that way. And I know other people who are denying their achievements and their successes truly feel like, well, that's just not that big of a deal. And yeah. really, you should learn to actually, that is a big deal. And that is something to be proud of. But you're afraid Why? to actually be. Why should you? I don't know. Um, is it a fear? Is it a fear? I don't think it's a fear. I don't think that's a fear. Like, if it's truly not a big deal to you, right? What's the fear? Yeah, there is no fear, but it's just I just yeah. think it's weird that lots of people achieve things or they they deny that this is a big deal. And it could be something they work their entire life for and then they get there and they're like, meh, like whatever. But see, I think that that's a regular thing. So I, I think there's a lot of depression in people who win gold medals, right? There's a big focus on this thing matters, this thing matters, this thing matters. And then when they get it, they realize it really didn't matter, that there's some kind of thought that once I get there, I will be something or it will be something. But then regular life is just still there. I'm not saying that's exactly the same thing you're doing. I know you're like, I should be able to celebrate this or more. You know, if there's a quality of you that should be able to celebrate more and like ground yourself in it, 
that might be back to quite literally like an appreciation or a mindfulness thing or a, you know, I don't, it doesn't sound like you're doing this, but like maybe you're moving too fast or you're getting past it. And it's like, oh, I don't care about that anymore. It already happened. But it's honestly sounds pretty healthy to not overdo some accomplishment. It's like, that's a side product of something that you're doing that you're excellent at, right? And that's great. And I think it's actually very, very healthy to be more kind of focused on the excellence of something rather than just the accolades. Now, if it's truly a problem, like you have a fear around it or something, that would be another thing to discuss. But I, I don't think that's actually a big problem. I actually wish more of us were less maybe accolade focused and more, let's just be excellent at what we're doing in the moment and, and carry on. I think that's actually psychologically healthier. Um, I think we should get back to this. We've been throwing words around like self-concept, self-worth, self-confidence. And I, yeah. can't, I can't remember, but I had a great psychologist on here and he wrote this book called The Brave Athlete. His name is his first name is Simon. I can't remember his last name. Sorry, Simon. Mm. But he has a pyramid in that book and he actually talks about the order, like at the bottom of the pyramid. I can't remember which one's at the bottom, but like self-worth, self-concept. And you have to have the bottom of the pyramid filled before you can actually start getting self-confidence. And I'm sorry that I'm not very articulate what the order those are. I'm not familiar with Simon or his work, but that sounds a lot like Maslow's hierarchy a little bit. And it might be totally different than that, whatever. But I, I think what Maslow's talking about in his pyramid was that we have some safety and survival type needs that are at the base. And I don't know that Maslow actually meant this, but he's often interpreted to mean that you can't get up into like emotional well-being and self-transcendence and things like that if your safety and survival needs aren't being met, right? So somebody who's homeless, it's very difficult to go, hey, why aren't you expressing it your best thing when they don't have a house and a way to feed themselves and all that? So there are definitely some foundational things about your own safety and survival. Then probably after that would come something like self-worth and a really good sense of self. What I think is also important though, and it's also kind of what I was trying to say before, very often it's actually not about you, okay? So when I'm doing identity shifting, I start off talking to people a lot about the self, but we're, the highest form of this is actually self-transcendence, right? Your concept of self is not your entire consciousness. It's not your whole self. And being healthy enough that you can actually get to a place where you can almost like objectify parts of yourself and see them and often not focus on them. You know, there's an idea that if I'm totally self-concerned all the time, it becomes very difficult to actually go do anything, right? Because to go do anything, I actually have to focus on the doing, right? It's like I have a task, I have a, a purpose, I have something that matters out here. I'll talk to entrepreneurs who get really nervous about public speaking. You know, one of the deep fears about public speaking is what are they going to think about me, right? It's this very me kind of focused thing. If you shift over to, I have this important concept that I'd like to share even with one person here. I don't really care what they think about me. I'm not even concerned with me right now. I'm actually concerned about this purpose or this concept or this thing. All of a sudden, you'll see confidence kind of come in because you're not self-concerned anymore. So I think a lot of the self-movement, even though I do something called identity shifting, right? What I like people to understand is that it's about you until it's not about you. Like if you're dysfunctional, we need to look at that and change some things. And then from a healthy sense of self, a really healthy sense of self, just like that person who can take a test and not be over-concerned about the outcome of it, because it's not about them. They're not worried about what that test means about them because they're actually safe and okay. So once our safety needs, back to that pyramid that I can only guess, Simon, question mark, is doing, you know, we have like safety and survival needs for sure. If they're not there, 
you have a big problem. After that, we definitely want some healthy sense of self that could be defined in a lot of different ways, depending on the psychologist or whoever we're trying to think. But then after that, we do get into doing and actualization and actually the we space, right? Like, what does it mean to actually participate? You could be deeply healthy as an individual, but not play with others very well, right? It's much more evolved if you can be a healthy individual and then also able to like run a family or a company or be the mayor of a town and do all of that well too. But that's even more capacity, right? That's an even bigger thing. And a lot of that means getting actually past yourself as your biggest concern or even what you're focused on. Sometimes you could do that in a task, right? So if you, if I'm guessing with you, getting really into your biking and doing that really well. I'm sure in your flow states, you there's a, a loss of self. Like you're just in the moment. You're just biking. You're just doing this thing. That's sometimes the highest expression of doing that's really, really powerful. And what happens is all of a sudden our identity slams back in when we're hurt or we see that boss with that look or whatever, and we become very self-concerned. And that's actually not very resilient, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'll, I'll throw in another example of when someone passes you on the trail, like you might yes. be... You might not even be racing. Like a lot of people listening don't race, but just out riding, like I still have this happen to me. I've, I'm a pro rider. I've been riding for 17 years and I'm out just for a fun ride and someone passes me and I still have that moment, that thought that comes in of like, oh my gosh, they're passing you. What does that mean? And then I'm like, just chill. Like you're just out riding. It doesn't mean anything. Nope. Someone's just and passing nope, that's you. That's not acceptable. You're 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. I will be out on a jog. And if anybody <laughs> runs past me, it's unacceptable. I have to immediately start sprinting because I'm trying to win every race I'm running. That's such a funny <laughs> impulse. That's so crazy, right? It happens yeah. all the time. And it's literally only been recent in my life that that's not been true, right? That I've actually been able to relax and let somebody run pass me and go faster and all that stuff. It's so funny. It, yeah. takes, it takes confidence to let somebody pass you. It, takes it really does. It takes confidence to go easy on your, to actually go easy on your easy days. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to get there, but like being aware of those thoughts and like what you said, when you're in that highest expression and in your flow state, like you don't even really, you might care, but you're not thinking about those things. But then the second someone passes you, it, it goes back to me, 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 me. What does this mean about me? Yes. And that, that's not helpful. Are, are people seeing me, a pro rider, lose to this nobody riding past me on a bike like that? You know, all that stuff becomes all of a sudden here again, going to give a speech. What are they going to think about me? Oh, my gosh, that person before me gave such a great speech. Am I going to look like an idiot going after them? Right. There's all this self-concern that, that slams back in. And that's not the healthiest. So back to that just for a second, that model of like we've got these unconscious urges in our self-concept. We've got conscious tools, like how our thinking is happening that we can manage and get better at to some degree. We've got like purpose and doing, like how do we get into flow states and actually doing things that matter to us that are there. And then we've got this relating. Each of these has skills. And the reason I talk about identity is that your sense of self is at the center of that, but you're not the whole that, right? All of consciousness is all of that and you're just a part of it. And so right-sizing yourself within community within the world, within consciousness. I know you're vegan, right? Is that mm -hmm. you're, you, you talk about being vegan. I mean, how we treat animals, like what we're doing, like that matters. But if I'm only self-concerned, I'm not going to care very much about animals consciousness or even somebody else's consciousness over here. So it's not about being narcissistic. It's about becoming healthy so that we can then participate in this much bigger space in a deeply different way than we're doing today. And that's what I'm most excited about and what I love helping people do. 
Yeah, and we were just talking about hierarchy of needs and homelessness, and we haven't even mm-hmm. talked about your origin story. And I, I did that. Uh. On, I did that on purpose in this podcast because I always start chronologically talking about origin, but I'm trying to just try some new ways of interviewing and talking about the origin at the end. So yeah. you've had a, a really interesting life. Can you start from the beginning of how you came to where you're at today? Yeah, for sure. The fast version of that is like a lot of people, I went through a lot of really bad abuse as a kid. I was, I don't know how graphic you want me to get, but I was actually being raped for years and went through some really bad stuff. Because of that, I felt really just horrible. I felt I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel good. There was a lot of dysfunction in my home as well with uh, different parent stuff and just all kinds of things. And so I ended up playing with drugs and alcohol at an obscenely young age. I got addicted to all kinds of things. And that was really, truly like a survival thing for me. That was that was me self-medicating and, and just doing things as best I could to get through. By the time I got into my teens and 20s, I was deeply dysfunctional doing very, very serious drugs. I was in and out of institutions and jails and halfway houses and just car wrecks and fights with the cops. I've been very badly abused by police and I, I deserved it. I ended up uh, disarming a police officer and I got beat up for a long time very badly by cops over that. So just real tough. I ended up homeless. I was living out on the streets. And what came from that was I ended up in this really deep kind of inquiry of like, what's the point? Like, like, what's the point? And I had this very deep victim mindset that even after, you know, nobody was punching me in the face anymore, but I was entering every circumstance like what a victim I am. And I was getting a big payoff to that. I would go into bars and talk to women. And, you know, some women thought it was, look at how tough this guy, look at what this guy's been through. And so I kept kind of grabbing my past and throwing it into my future. And my whole life remained deeply dysfunctional. And so I had this very profound kind of wake up experience where, consciousness just kind of occurred to me differently. And I started to see a lot of the lenses that I was carrying. And I was like, what if I put some of these down? And I started to do that in a very rudimentary way. I've developed it much more deeply since then. But just doing it in the way that I knew how to do it by figuring it out, I went from homeless to vice president of technology at this company in just a handful of years. I went from literally getting a place to live to a temp in a company to becoming a manager to whatever. And in the middle of that, I got a really aggressive cancer. So I almost died from cancer while I was doing that corporate stuff. So by the end of that, it was about, I guess, 2004, 2005. I started a podcast and I started to share with the world some of these ideas. I was just like, you know, here's what it is to evolve your consciousness. Here's what it is to get more functional. And luckily, people all over just started asking me for coaching. And so I think it was 2006, I left the corporate world and began this business. And that really was the beginning of doing what just deeply matters to me, which is helping people find, you know, get past trauma, find deeper function, really thrive and become exceptional in their lives. And and not only one thing, but in everything, actually, what I'm interested in. So, yeah, I love it. I'm absolutely thrilled with what I do. And uh, now I have a small team and just love doing this work. Yeah. And it's, I mean, all those things that happened to you, being able to come out of that and also to get to where you've gotten where now you're helping other people through their quote traumas, which most of us don't have the level of trauma that you've had. Most of us are just kind of like, eh, like I went to school for something. I don't like my job. Like, you know, it's not a high level of trauma, but it's just incredible that you've been able to do that because there's a lot of people who have 
had homelessness or addiction and many of us have family members or friends who are like alcoholics or drug addicts and mm -hmm. they can't seem to get out of that pattern they can't they can't they just can't make that change so every time i meet somebody that's made major changes and overcome those challenges is just so inspiring to me because i've seen firsthand how hard that is to mm -hmm. to get out of that yeah, my two, I mean, I've got best friends today in my life, but my two best friends from back in the day are both dead. You know, a lot of people don't make it out of this. I know a lot of other people that have just committed suicide and, and just a lot of difficult stuff. And so that kind of life leads to, you know, jails, institutions or death. I mean, like that's normally what it does. And I think I got very lucky and, you know, I worked very hard at it also, but I got very lucky in that for me, there's a gift in the trauma and it's, it's really, you know, I've used it to fuel what I most care about today and what's most meaningful to me today. And I see beauty today in a way that I don't know if I ever would have had access to had I not sort of been down at that thing. And I also can deal with complexity in these latest, we just had, you know, protests that uh, riots is maybe a strong word, but there was, you know, right here, there was a police car on fire and there were fights right out here. And Whoa. so yeah. things that are scary. I mean, I was out, you know, walking and got maced by cops randomly, like just recently. And so not to take any position on that other than my ability to deal with that kind of chaos now is very high. Whereas I think a lot of other people would see that or have those experiences and it would be really overwhelming, like the whole coronavirus thing. I mean, it's just, it's been very, I feel very poised to be helpful and, and functional during these difficult times. And, you know, there's, a, there's chaos at the door all the time. And so, you know, I just want to be one of those people that can help us navigate that chaos as best we can. Yeah. And that kind of goes into my last question, because I, I did read that you've been doing this since 2005. And mm. the world has changed a lot. I mean, not only with how digital devices have changed, but just there's been so many crazy changes, I think, for the better. But how has your career and your learning about people evolved through the course of your career leading us to today? That's a really big question. I could probably talk about that <laughs> for a long time, but I'll be I'll try and be thoughtful. I mean, as far as like my coaching has gone one, there was a huge evolution a few years back where I really thought because this work was so intimate and I was talking about people's deepest kind of delusional thinking about themselves and all that, I was pretty sure I was never going to be able to do that except for one-on-one. -on -one. And a handful of years back, I turned it into a group. I, I did some research and I was thinking about a different way to do it. And it's actually way more effective as a group. There's a, there's a communal thing that happens that's really, really powerful. I'm deeply interested in a lot of what the work I do is very working on the individual, being able to change an individual. But Right now, societal needs a big we space change. So there's those are two aspects of consciousness. Like you and I now have a little bit of a shared culture. We have a we space, like we know each other, right? If we went forward and we were friends, there's a, a different dynamic to us being together than us being just alone and separate. We need high function in both of those places. So one of the things that I'm over the years getting more and more interested in is how can we individually get really sound and healthy, but also how can our we spaces and our governing and our our corporations and all the different things, like how can we function as nations and states and cities and all the things better? And so what we have seen in the last 15 years or so is social media come up, right? That's a huge addition to the complexity of how we're all talking. 
20, 30 years ago, we had three to five channels of information that were all going one way. None of us could talk back. We had a fairly shared narrative of what truth was and what was going on in the world. And now we've got echo chambers and information silos that are deeply dividing us. And, you know, it, it becomes harder to make sense of it all. So these are challenges that I'm excited about working to solve. And I think it's it doesn't have to be a breakdown. I think we're going to see some breakdown with it. But I think that we're going to learn how to use these tools and talk better and figure out a new thing that we need to evolve to. And I'm really excited about that. So those are some thoughts on it. Awesome. Well, where can people find you if they're like, okay, self-coaching? Yes, but I, I need I want Rob. Yeah, they can absolutely go to robscott.com. And uh, if you're interested in me or the podcast that I do or any of those things, you can find that there. I also have a site called identityshifting.com where if you're interested in that process, you can go find out more there. And we're very soon, I don't know when this will publish, but very soon we're going to have a new free course coming out that's really helpful around identity shifting that will take people through some of this work and help them do it on their own at home. Cool. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. And I think we got really deep into some really interesting topics to give people something to really think about after today's podcast. So thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Make sure that you check out all of the websites in our show notes from identity shifting to fundamental shift coaching community. And I also linked up Byron Katie's four questions that were mentioned in the show. Big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. I could not do this without you guys. Podcasting is awesome and it's a gift that I get to do this, but it is also a massive investment of time and money. And I really, really appreciate those of you. Even four bucks a month makes a huge, huge difference to the growth of the show and to just making sure that it keeps getting better. Thank you again for listening, for being a part of this awesome community. I'm with you on this journey of growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.